0: Welcome to the Road Safety Podcast with me, Dr Karen McDonnell, Occupational Health and Safety Policy Advisor at ROSPA. This is a podcast that keeps driving and riding for work and managing the risk in the minds of people and businesses across Scotland. Our conversations will help you understand where driving and riding for work sits within the safe system approach and to think about new and emerging risks. This podcast is part of the work of the Scottish Occupational Road Safety Alliance project funded by Transport Scotland and delivered by ROSPA that not only contributes to Scotland's road safety framework to 2030 but also ROSPA's strategic objectives relating to those who drive or ride for work. And for listeners in the UK and wider world, the safe system and management of occupational road risk principles discussed during this podcast series can be applied wherever you are. We're back with a new series because we all have a part to play in keeping ourselves and each other safe on the roads. Today's episode is all about sleep fatigue and those who drive and ride for work. I'm joined today by Lisa Artis, Deputy CEO at the Sleep Charity. She's responsible for the strategic development and leadership of the charity's work programs, providing specialist comment and advice on the topic of sleep and working with organizations to promote better sleep, including those who drive and ride for work. So hi hi Lisa. Um can just to kick off how big an issue is sleep and fatigue and how does it really impact on people and the economy.
1: Hi uh, yeah, I mean poor sleep and fatigue you know they're common problems affecting millions of people worldwide. And at any given point kind of in the UK there's around 40% who aren't sleeping very well. So If you think about it, that's four in every 10 adults. So you only have to look between your own kind of friends and family and you're likely to know one or two people who don't sleep well. And if you're anything like me, you know, those people do moan to me all the time that they don't sleep well as (laughs) as well. But chronic insomnia... That's obviously different, you know, entity in itself. And that affects around one in every 10 people. And this is obviously a sleep disorder, which is characterized by real issues in falling asleep, staying asleep and from frequent waking early. Um, and it has to occur at least three nights a week for more than three months so we know that with that stat, and obviously the 40%, that sleep and fatigue, you know, are really prevalent. You know, they are issues that, you know, are common and you know affect most of us at some point. And sleep deprivation itself has a huge impact on health and well-being. You know, in the sort of short term, you know, it impacts on kind of mood and concentration levels. But in the long term, you know, it is linked to like an increased risk of stroke and heart disease, obesity and type 2 diabetes and also Alzheimer's as well. But obviously, not only that, it also has a huge effect in the workplace and for the economy. You know, that is really significant. Um, We know that there's around sort of 200,000 working days lost in the UK every year due to poor sleep. Um, and that's whether, you know, that comes down to things like absenteeism, but also like presenteeism or loss of productivity, which costs the UK economy around 41 billion a year. And that is obviously set to rise. I think they're sort of saying around sort of 45 billion by sort of 2030. Um, and obviously there's those increased odds of workplace accidents and errors that, you know,
0: lead to things like injuries and disabilities. Absolutely. And I mean, those numbers are staggering if someone hasn't really thought about the impact uh, of sleep and fatigue on people, uh, business and the economy. In terms of uh, crashes on our roads, uh, have you any insights into what proportion of crashes on GB roads are fatigue related? Well,
1: we know that there's around one in six crashes resulting in death and injury on motorways and air roads that are down to fatigue and sleep issues. Um, We know that that sort of early morning, so sort of like 6 a.m., you know, drivers are 20 times more likely to fall asleep at the wheel than they would do at, say, 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, there are around one in eight drivers who do admit falling asleep at the wheel. So, you know, these are really scary statistics, you know, something that we don't always think about as well. And we know that, you know, exhausted drivers, you know, they have slower reaction times, poor judgment a lack of concentration on the roads when they are suffering from lack of sleep so a lot of like rear-end crashes you know are because of
0: fatigue. How do you think understanding sleep and fatigue well, can improve nation's health but also reduce the risk of crashes on our roads? I think
1: like most people are now well aware of the risks of, of drinking and driving but driving whilst tired you know, is just as dangerous. So we really do need to ensure we're doing more to educate on those risks. You know, research shows that even moderate sleep deprivation can affect affect driving performance to that same degree as like low level alcohol intoxication. And, you know, People also need to realise that you don't need to completely fall asleep to cause an accident. You know, sometimes it's those little micro-sleeps that we're not aware of. And it's just that little bit of lost concentration that can really cause a serious accident. Driving, you know, causes a few things. One, obviously you're going to have that delayed reaction. And we know that that's critical when you're driving, especially if you're going to respond to an unexpected event. And also that your decision-making is impaired. So if more people were educated on the importance of sleep, and I think the problem is when you sleep well, you don't really think about sleep too much. And it's only when you start to have an issue that you start to maybe clock the risks behind it. We really need to ensure that everyone is thinking about their sleep all the time and not just those basics, but also looking out for any signs of sleep deprivation. And then what are the risks associated with that as well? Because it may help to reduce the risk
0: of crashes. Absolutely. I completely agree with you there. And people around the world listening to this podcast, irrespective of where they are, they will recognize that conversation that you've just had with them around and about the significant number of people being impacted on by um, sleep deprivation, poor sleep, there are sort of personal and organisational uh, opportunities here to, to make a difference. So if we could just maybe explore firstly from a, an organisational perspective, we talk very much about risk. You mentioned the word risk earlier. You know, risk assessment is fundamentally important in managing driving risk uh, and fitness to drive should be factored into this process what should organisations listening in today do in terms of factoring in sleep and fatigue into their risk assessment process?
1: That's And that's a really great question, Karen, because sleep and fatigue does need to be managed like any other kind of hazard. You know, it's important to not underestimate those risks when it comes to fitness to drive. And, pers- you know, from a, an organisational perspective, you know, I'd be thinking about how tired is that person? You know, how much sleep have they been having recently you know or how sort of like the lack of sleep as well you know has that been going on for quite a period of time you know is there any shift work or night work because we know that this can play a huge role in disturbed sleep patterns and for people who drive as well and we need to be looking at overall employee health and well-being and just ensuring that there's nothing from that that is also feeding into sleep and fatigue because not everyone's sleep deprivation, you know, is is standalone. It can often be, you know, a a byproduct almost of other issues such as poor mental health or um, pain or another medical condition or other sleep disorders. Where's that sort of relationship with line managers, you know? Do we have that ability to communicate around our sleep issues? You know, are we able to, I don't know, complete any kind of, like, weekly surveys around sleep that can feed into the risk assessments you know we I think we really need to ensure that there is sort of policy or or guidelines that really does sort of specifically address and, and guards against fatigue because we know you know it is so important and we know that it is a huge factor
0: in driving risk. So, essentially, we're looking at almost like a whole person, whole life approach here, whereby we're thinking about uh, having, from a road safety perspective, we quite often talk about safe vehicle, safe journey, and safe driver. But this conversation is really extending very much into the safe and healthy driver and factoring in sleep and fatigue uh, linked to work related issues or out with work issues, uh, and then really thinking about what organisations can do differently. So, from your experience, through the support you provide for organisations, what can they do differently? I think like help
1: around planning safer journeys. You know, we need to remember that driver fatigue isn't just about lorry drivers. You know, we do kind of sometimes have that perception when we talk about um, like driver fatigue, that it is for just people who are, you know, in the lorries or the vans, traveling all day. But there actually are plenty of employees who travel around a lot. Generally, you know, whether it's on the road going to meetings or salespeople and things like that, you know, spending a lot of time on the road. And we really need to be exploring with them what early warnings of fatigue looks like. You know, trying to reduce the occurrence of of driving tired really starts with obviously being able to recognize those signs that actually you maybe do. T- be too tired to be behind the wheel um you know it would be great to kind of get staff to think about how they're feeling do they feel that they need to nap you know are they yawning we know yawning isn't you know just a sign of being tired but as part and parcel of other things you know it is a it is an indicator of being tired you know do they feel safe to be driving or should they be resting for a moment first um you know if if we can kind of Adopt a best practice, you know, in the workplace on what to do if someone is feeling tired, you know, when traveling. I think a lot of the time most people are not sure really what the guidelines are around that. And really sort of foster kind of this culture that encourages staff to really openly express if they are feeling fatigued and and have concerns over being able to drive. You know, what we don't want is for staff to feel Penalised almost for bringing this to their employer's attention. It's actually, you know, they're they're looking after themselves, but also just the risk to the business as well, and also just general sort of training. You know, training employees on the importance of sleep. You know, not just in the workplace, but for their overall health and well being, and and trying to do more information sharing. Well,
0: absolutely, and we we talk well, we're having a conversation about sleep and fatigue today, but sleep is very much a well-being issue, um, so. What's the most effective way about how to start a conversation with someone about sleep and fatigue? How would you suggest that organisations take that first step? And perhaps also from a personal perspective, how easy do you think it is for people to to say, I'm tired, I'm fatigued, and to have that conversation with their employer? And I think this is where it comes back to
1: starting with adopting a more positive culture in the workplace, you know, where people feel they can really talk openly and honestly about their sleep issues without feeling judged, Um, you know. And I think we can all relate to those situations where someone has possibly come into work saying they're tired and the response might be like, oh, you sat up all night binge-watching on Netflix, didn't you? And do you know what I mean? And actually, sometimes that person might be genuinely tired because there's an ongoing sleep issue or maybe they've got a child who doesn't sleep and it's really affecting their sleep. I think... We need to start making sleep a priority um, personally, but also, you know, in organizations as well and, and making sure that we are making that time to listen. So if someone is talking to you about their sleep, you know, try not to trivialize. The issues because sometimes you know we can do that you know really acknowledge how difficult sleep issues can be because they you know they are common and they can be really difficult um and make sure you're taking an interest and taking it seriously um I think that's just so important you want people to come and confide in you you know so they feel comfortable you know take an interest um you know let them do the talking and just really promote this sort of culture where it's okay to to talk about sleep without feeling like you are going to be judged on it, Um, whether they think you're a bad parent because your child doesn't sleep or they think, you know, you are staying up all night just watching TV. Um, I think the more that we can do about encouraging sleep and the way it's talked about instead of it being a taboo subject – will be really helpful for both organizations but also for employees you only have to look at like how mental health you know has really sort of you know changed over the last couple of years you know you know for a long time it was a subject that wasn't discussed in the workplace and yet we are now more open to these conversations you know we're encouraging people to share because we know how important it is to their overall health and
0: wellbeing but also just on that productivity in the workplace as well. I think for me, though, the sleep as a priority, that sort of jumped out from what you said there. Uh, So a priority for organisations to consider within sort of a sleep fatigue uh, related risk assessment uh, and also for people themselves in prioritising their sleep. So what simple things can individual people do differently to help them sleep?
1: and i think as well like you know we obviously are talking today about um, what organizations can do but also when it comes to sleep it is really important that people themselves do take some ownership of their own sleep you know sometimes there's only so much employers can do and you really do have to look at your own sleep and and try to figure out you know maybe what's going wrong um you know where the issues might be and what you can do to kind of resolve those issues um there are three really simple steps that I always encourage everybody to start with. And I call them the three R's and that's regular hours. So trying to keep regular hours for bedtime and wake up time all the time. And this is really, really great in strengthening our circadian rhythm. So our circadian rhythm is our internal body clock, and it's what our kind of body uses for cues around sort of night time and for wake up time. And if you can try to keep to fairly regular hours, it really just kind of program the mind and body to sleep better. And we're not talking about like the nth minute. So if you go to bed at 10 p.m. on a Wednesday, you have to go to bed at 10 p.m. on a Saturday. But what you don't want to be doing is going is having a 10 p.m. 10 p.m. bedtime on a Wednesday and then a 2 a.m. bedtime on Saturday because. Well, it'd be on Sunday, wouldn't it, almost? But (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, Because what happens is you then sleep and then your wake-up time is later. um, And then you basically, you push your circadian rhythm later and later. And it's a knock-on effect. And that's often why on Monday mornings, people often feel like the worst that they do on any other day of the week. And that's because over the weekend, people do alter their sleep hours. Um, But I would just say, you know, obviously we're not like the sleep police here and telling people they can never have a late night or anything like that. But if you are suffering with your sleep or you have got like a bit of a niggly sleep issue, that's one of the things that you can do really easily is to keep those sort of regular hours in check. And then routine is the second hour. So, you know, anyone who's got children will know, you put a lot of effort into having a bedtime routine for your child. Um, you know, it's really important to kind of wind them down before bed. But as an adult, you still need that wind down time. And most of us don't do it. We, you know, we're, we're always either rushing around or doing other things. And actually, it's really important that we do take an hour And an hour is like the ideal. But I always say if people can at least make 30 minutes time to wind down, that's more beneficial than anything, than doing nothing at all. And use that time to relax. Because what you want to do is you need to de-stress from the day. You need to do something calming. You need to be... Off your screens, you know, not scrolling through social media, not looking at your work emails. You know, if you do need a little bit of screen time, you know, the TV on is not too bad, especially if you're watching something quite lighthearted. You know, we want you to be not drinking alcohol, we want you to be just taking that time to sort of process the day and calm the mind before bedtime. It's really important, you can't expect to just hop into bed when you've been doing 101 things, you know, dashing around the home and then hop into bed and hope that you're going to fall asleep. It just doesn't work like that. We need that preparation time before bed. And then lastly, the third R is the right environment. So that is looking at your bedroom environment. And it's a really easy thing for people to, to do as a first part of call. It's have a look around, you know, is it fit for purpose? Are you blocking out light? You know, Have you got like heavy lined curtains and blackout blinds um, to block out kind of any street lights or any other light that might be coming through? You know, is it quiet? Is it cool you know you want a bedroom that's not too hot but also not too cold so sort of around 16 to 18 degrees is a really good temperature you know do you have a good bed is your your bed still fit for purpose is it still comfortable and supportive you know we do grow and change over the years and sometimes something that we had in our sort of 30s might not be as suitable for us when we're in our 50s for instance and it's not just the bed it's the pillows and the bedding. all these things create the right sort of ambience and the right sort of space for sleep. Um, I'm a big believer of not having a bedroom full of clutter as well, because even though you might sleep with your eyes closed, it's the last thing you look at before you go to sleep. So you don't want to be looking at piles of laundry on the floor and paperwork if you work in your bedroom or anything like that. And so just really create this right environment for sleep. Um, and I just think those three hours are something that Everyone can look at straight away and possibly implement. You know, there are obviously lots of other advice out there, um, looking at your lifestyle habits as exercising and eating well and things like that. But those three R's are, are something that everyone can take away and have
0: a look at quite quickly. Yeah, and I, absolutely. And it is almost like a personal ownership. Taking ownership of it means you can then garner some control over the situation, which I think is hugely uh, important. But there are also medical conditions that manifest as excessive sleepiness, for example, obstructive sleep apnea. How can employers signpost drivers to get the right support? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any sleep
1: issue, you know, that sort of comes to an employer's attention that's been going on for kind of longer than three months Um, or if they feel there's any kind of underlying health or medical conditions should be signposted back to their GP or even to somewhere like our National Sleep Helpline, where we can obviously signpost to other organisations as well. So I would always say to kind of employers, you know who who are hearing about any sleep issues with their employees is to really look out for those kind of like red flags such as like longevity of the issue feeling quite low um, and depressed and also snoring because obviously obstructive sleep apnea one of the sort of key indicators of that is is lots of snoring and um, so if any of those things present when you're talking to someone about sleep issues you know you must signpost back to the gp for sort of further further tests and treatments, or as I said, you know, the the National Sleep Helpline is there and and can also help as well.
0: You you mentioned a few moments ago uh, about driving tired can be as dangerous as drink driving and indeed is a significant factor in many rear-end crashes. The vast majority of drivers would not consider getting behind the wheel of a vehicle having had a drink What needs to change to make driving tired as socially unacceptable, do you think?
1: Absolutely. And this one is a a real sort of key issue, I think, at the moment. And I think we need to have more educational campaigns and more awareness of the risks and the stats around driving whilst tired. Because I think you're right, you know, lots of people, you know, don't realize the real risks of driving while tired you know you do see the odd you know the odd flashing sign on the motorway and things like that but you don't always have to be on a motorway do you to 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 be tired and and to be driving um and I think the more we can talk about the dangers of it the more socially unacceptable it will become it is going to take time um you know it you know that had to filter through with the whole drink driving didn't it but the more we keep talking about it and sharing information the better but I also think we need to start talking about sleep deprivation more widely than just driving as well so that we can get over this sort of sociable unacceptable sort of way of looking at everything because We do use, or people do use, sayings such as, well, I only need four hours of sleep a night. And they use that as a badge of honour. And how many times, you know, have you heard people compare how little sleep they get and they think it's a really good thing? And, you know, there's so much out there in the news around famous entrepreneurs who've only been very successful because they've had very little sleep, because they've crammed so much into the day. I mean, these are all things that we need to move away from you know we need to be talking about how amazing sleep is and how much more we should be getting and actually you know getting four hours of sleep is is not great because the more we talk about sleep in a positive way the more people will realize that actually being tired and driving while tired is not great and that is something that we should not be doing And I think, you know, we just need to continue to campaign and get that message across and just really highlight those risks. Because as we mentioned earlier, there's some really scary stats around sort of crashes, you know, because people have been, you know, tired. And also how many people have admitted to falling asleep at the wheel? You know, that's not something anybody wants.
0: Absolutely. So how do you think having these conversations through SCORSA really makes a difference? you know, working with our, with our network members.
1: The more we share the message around sleep and fatigue, the better. So having these conversations means we're able to educate, share more information around sleep, you know, why we need it, the risks of not having it, as well as that best practice with sort of small and medium-sized businesses who need support, you know, in occupational road risk. You know, we just need to continue to raise awareness of the need for action and this is where, you know, collaborating with organisations such as SCORSA is, is vital.
0: My thanks to our guest, Lisa Artis, Deputy CEO of the Sleep Charity, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your usual podcast provider so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love it if you could leave a review. It really makes the podcast easier for others to find. The Road Safety Podcast is produced by Fresh Air Production. I'm Karen McDonnell and thank you for listening.